As we begin our reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is a disgrace for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why the wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man or man of a woman. For a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. If you're going to take your cues on how we see the differences in our genders, which is a real hot-button issue in our society these days, you're probably not going to want to get them from our society itself. Our society seems to be somewhat schizophrenic in their understanding of genders and understanding of the sexes. We're seeing it modeled for us regularly, it seems like lately. It's kind of funny because it depends on what subject you're talking about. When we're talking about gender issues, we're being told that men can have babies and men can be women and and it's just nonsensical. And then when it turns around to the abortion industry then the pro-abortion people tell men, you better sit down and shut up because you don't know what you're talking about because you're not a woman. You know, this year we've been told so many crazy things about a man that's going to have a baby. Of course, it's not a man. It's a woman who's decided she's a man who's going to have a baby. So so actually nothing out of the ordinary is happening. A woman is having a baby. We've gotten so crazy. They'll insist that there really is no difference. You've got to get rid of all distinction between men and women when you're dealing with a gender issue. And then as soon as it gets to the abortion issue, now it's, oh no, what are you going to do to women? What are you doing to women? I don't know why the, our entire society didn't get in an uproar. Back when was it in 2015, Bruce Jenner decides he's a woman. And you know what? He gets woman of the year. Woman of the year. Bruce Jenner? When I was in sixth grade, he won the decathlon in a men's sport in, in the Olympics and set a new record. It was an amazing feat. And it was fun to watch. Woman of the year. You're telling me that this guy that just decided he's a woman, he's the best that women have? He is the top? Women, I'm insulted for you. That is such a huge insult. We're going to give out this one award that this is the woman of the year in our country. And you know what? A man beat you to it. That is just insulting. It's it's crazy. But they're, they're demanding that we totally ignore the differences in the sexes. And it's just fundamentally wrong. How many years have people been fighting for and trying to implement and coaching and getting, getting it to where girls have the same opportunities that boys do? 
Probably the one that's come to our forefront the most over the last year is dealing in the area of sports. Boys sports, we've had them flourishing for a long time, and the girls sports have been coming along, and, and we've finally gotten to the point where we have boys sports, we've got girls sports, and then all of a sudden you hit this issue, our society gets kind of crazy, all of a sudden they're fighting over whether or not boys can participate in girls sports. And so now all of a sudden you have state records being set in girls sports, but it's a guy that's doing them. But we're all going to close our eyes and say, oh, isn't she great? But how do we get past? It's crazy. We're just going to hand over everything that's been built up for your daughters to be able to participate in. We're just going to hand that back over to the boys. I don't understand how they can make that switch, that flip-flop. And it's astounding, the differences, when it comes to these kinds of realms. I think of Allison Felix. She's a gold medalist. Some have labeled her the fastest woman in the world. She runs a 400-meter dash. 400 meters, now to me, that's not a dash. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can't. But she's collected more medals than you can shake a stick hat. She's got gold medals in this, in this event, and, and she's just super fast. Fastest woman in the world in this event. Uh, but you know what? In the United States alone, there are 300 high school boys that beat her time. Fastest woman in the world, 300 high school boys beat her time. Don't get me wrong, I'm not taking anything from her. I admire her, her stamina, I admire her stick to everything that takes you to train for that kind of thing. Hats off to her. But you know what? When it comes to gender, that is why we have boys sports and girls sports. That's, that's why we recognize that there are differences. Even when you listen to like differences in the workplace, they talk about, well, men are paid more than women, uh, these kinds of things. But not so much when you start to break apart the different things that happen. Like, for example, they find that men typically are putting in a lot more hours at that same job because they're more willing to sacrifice time away from home. There's just ways that we're fundamentally different. There are just are fundamental differences between the genders, and if we ignore them, we ignore them to our own peril. The home doesn't need two moms, doesn't need two dads, it needs one of each. It needs men and it needs women. Our society needs men and it needs women. The church needs men and it needs women. We complement each other. That's the way God designed it. And that's what this passage is all about here. Now remember where we left off, because he's just been talking about several principles dealing with eating and drinking and different things. And he says there's a fundamental principle for all these things. And what is it? Do all to the glory of God. So right off the heel of that context of doing everything to the glory of God, he then focuses on, well, how do we, how do we glorify God in our roles with one another? Well, uh, I entitled the sermon this morning, Serving with Distinction. What I'm talking about is we're both talking about serving God. He's talking about these people being involved in things like prayer and prophesying and things like that. So they're, they're serving God. But in what context or in what way? And he points out that there is a distinction to be made. There's a distinction between how men were supposed to do this and how women were supposed to do this. Now, part of that distinction, I think, is, or the way it was fleshed out at the time, is probably cultural. But to be honest with you, it's a very difficult one to to figure out. Women wearing head coverings, is it a thing that God gave us that we should be doing continually? Or was it something that because the culture was doing this, that it was appropriate in that culture, but maybe not necessarily so today? To be honest with you, it's hard to know. Well, as we look at this passage here with, with whatever this was at the time, it sounds like it was maybe kind of like a veil that they would just pull over the top while they prayed or, or prophesied. It had a statement of significance about their relationship to their husband. 
To pull the head covering up was a symbol that you were in submission under the authority of your husband. Then, and obviously, from the way he addresses it, that the church and the culture itself saw it that way. And so where I think it was a cultural expression, but it's impacted by theological understanding. What I mean by that is that the cultural part, whether or not you actually wear a head covering today, is probably faded out. If you were, if the ladies were to wear head coverings in church and stuff when they came in today, nobody would, I don't think nobody would know that that had anything to do with their relationship to their husband. So I think the cultural impact has, has faded. But the general principle of how the wife is related to the husband, you'll notice is not cultural. It's not cultural. It's theological. He doesn't say, look, because of the culture, this is what you need to do. He goes back to the creation. He goes back to a divine order that exists. It's all theology. In fact, I remember years ago I had a discussion with Heather, I think her name was. She was a pastor of the Lutheran Church in town. And I went over to talk with her because uh, they're dealing with the issue of uh, sexuality and homosexuality. And we were discussing it. And she said some of the same methods of interpreting and understanding the Bible that I use to accept homosexuality are some of the same methods that I use for my own calling into the ministry as a woman that I can participate in the ministry. And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with you there either. When you look at uh, the Bible and its teaching on manhood and womanhood, it's a male headship. It doesn't mean women are any less than man. It just means that's the way God designed it to work. And so when we start getting away from that and following our culture rather than our scriptures, then we got to have a reason to do that. And so typically the reason goes like, like this. The culture was different. Women weren't as educated as men back then. Women didn't have the opportunities in culture that, that men do now. But now in our culture, the opportunities are there. The education is there. The, the mindset has changed. And so our culture is different. But the problem is, as you look at First Timothy, like where it talks about uh, who should be a pastor and, and who shouldn't, um, for the di- difference between men and women, it doesn't give a cultural reason. He doesn't say man should be pastor because he's better educated. Man should be pastor because he has more opportunities. It doesn't use any of those. You know what it goes to? It goes back to the Garden of Eden. It goes back to the creation, the way that God created him, and the events of the fall. Those are the reasons that he gives for his decision or his statement at that time. Well, that's the same thing that happens here. He says that within our homes, a man is to be the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the man. God is the head of Christ. And that's the way God made it. It's not because women aren't as smart. Far from it. It's not because they're not as educated. It's not because they don't have as many opportunities. It's because of God. He gives theological reasons. But the point is this. As he communicates to us in this passage, we're going to see something very clearly. That if we're going to serve God in the way that he commands us to serve him, we're going to serve him with distinction. There's going to be a distinction between the genders, between man and women, because that's exactly how God created them. If we're going to follow God, we're going to be a distinction between us and the society at large. Society at large is not going to bend to scriptures and and follow the truth of scriptures. They're going to go their own way, and that's going to make us distinct. But you know what? That's exactly what God calls us to. You know, when you look back at the Old Testament and the people of Israel, it appears that God gave them some of the rules laid down in the law of the Old Testament just to make them different, like their dietary rules and some of their clothing rules. 
just so that they would be, as God called them, his peculiar people. Unfortunately, it seems that the church down through the ages often just stays about a step behind but following the world. But let me ask you this. Is the church to be the light to the culture or is the culture to be the light to the church? We've got to get in the right position here. We've got to be in the right place and the right understanding in dealing with these issues of gender within the church and that we learn from the Word of God. Well, within this passage, we're serving with distinction because of five different reasons that he lays out before us. And the first one that he lays out is the divine order in verses 3 through 6. He says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Even within the Godhead, there is order. You know, nobody makes an argument that Christ is any less God than the Father, that He's any less in His essence of who He is, but at the same time, He submits. Jesus often said within the Gospels that He does only the things that His Father tells Him to do, or only the things that He sees in the Father. So the Son is submitted in submission to the Father. Not any less God, but yet He's submitted to the Father. And then the step goes in and says, and, and The Christ is submitted to the Father. The man is to be under submission to Christ. And then the woman is to be under submission to her husband. And so there's just this chain of authority down through the structure of God and family that God put into place because God is a God of order. This is based really not on us. It's based on God. Lisa and I were having a conversation the other day and she made a comment about this kind of a thing and she said it would maybe be a lot easier if God just made man so much smarter than women. Of course, I'm in the middle of studying this passage. My first thought was, it's not based on that at all. That has nothing to do with it. Not only that, who wants a dumb help me, right? You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be very, you wouldn't be very helpful if you're, if, if you're so much less intelligent than your husband. That's not very much help. Just have to be explaining what you're doing all the time. It has absolutely zero to do with it. See, our our authority is not uh, our own authority. It's it's derived from being made in the image of God. It is based on God Himself. God set this order. And let me ask you this: because if you tear down one part of it, you tear down all of it, right? Because if you say one part of it doesn't really have to do what it's saying, then then all of it, none of it has to do what it's saying. So if we're going to say that uh, that the wife doesn't need to be under the authority of the husband, okay, well then does the man need to be under the authority of Christ? Does Christ need to be under the authority of God? And you know what? None of this is meant to be demeaning. It doesn't say, just like it doesn't say anything about the, the intelligence of man to put him in this position, it doesn't say anything about the lack of intelligence in a woman to, to, to not put her in it either. None of it is meant to be demeaning. It is all meant to be complimentary. There's a divine order that God has in place, even within God. And, you know, Christ doesn't feel bad because he submits to the Father. He's proud to do it. Man doesn't feel bad because he submits to Christ. We have to be excited to do that. And woman should not feel bad by submitting to her husband. These are the things that we're just created to do. And that's, the, in fact, the very next part is the divine creation in verses 7 through 10. In verses 7 through 10, it says, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but the woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. But let's start with the creation. He spends three verses 
talking about the creation. Why, why is it this way? And basically he's just saying it's just it's this way because God made it this way. And that's how God wants it to function. If we look back at the creation, it, we find exactly what he spelled out for us here in 1 Corinthians. In Genesis 127 it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And then he hit chapter 2 and he backs up a little bit and kind of does it again. Gets more detailed though. And he talks about how he created man in his own image. And then at, he comes to a point where there, everything that he said about the creation up to this point has all been good. Every day that he creates something, he looks back and says, behold, it's good. He gets all done with all of it and says it's very good. And then he hits this place where he, and looking at how he created man, he says, you know what, something's missing. It's not good. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so notice a few things. One, it's, it's made, this happens to solve the alone problem, so it's going to provide companionship. But not only that, he says, I'm going to make him a helper. And a helper is going to imply a couple things. It's going to imply, one, that he needs help. That, that he needs, he's, he's still lacking here. He needs something to, to be completed, to be able to do the things that he needs to do. And so he needs this help. And so, so she's going to be a complementary to him. But it also implies that, that he's picking up on in 1 Corinthians that there's structure. She's going to help him. And so obviously there's a, there's a leadership structure that is in place there. But then notice also, it says that he needs a helper that is what? Fit for him. That fits him. He'd already named the animals. And notice, look, all these animals have something fit for them. I don't have anything fit for me. And God says, I need to make something that's fit for him. And what was fit for him? A woman. That's what's fit for him. So she should be complementary in that way. And yet there is still structure to the relationship, just like there's structure within the Godhead itself. Now this gets magnified with the events of the fall, because what happens in the events of the fall is the serpent approaches Eve, and Eve kind of takes the lead at that moment and eats the fruit, gives to Adam, and Adam follows at that time and eats the fruit, and they're plunged into sin. And then when God is handing out the curse, notice it's interesting what he says to Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. You see, we're already witnessing a breakdown in the relationship. Right? When Adam first saw Eve, what was his response? Holy cow, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He even names her in connection to himself. She shall be called woman because she's taken out a man. Her name comes from showing the direct relationship of her to me, the connection that we have. And so he's like, holy cow, we are one. But you know what? As soon as he eats the fruit that he wasn't supposed to eat from, what does he do? God says, did you eat the fruit? Adam says, well, she gave it to me. Not one anymore. Notice notice not she's bone of my bones. Her fault. That's what he does. And so we see a breakdown of the relationship. Well, God spells out within the curse and talking to Eve that that breakdown is going to continue. It says, your, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Now, the same word is used in dealing with Cain and Abel. God's talking to Cain before he kills Abel. And he says, look, you better be careful here, Cain, because sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. In other words, it, it has a desire to control you and that's the same word that he uses here. In other words, women were going to have a bit of a struggle with the desire to control, to manipulate. But then he says, but he will rule over you. It's kind of the idea of the iron fist. 
And so you see, we find in the Garden of Eden, as I've often said, we find both feminism and chauvinism take root in the Garden of Eden. That the women, the woman would find within her a desire to inappropriately usurp the authority of her husband, and the husband would find within him the inappropriate response to rule with an iron hand. And so both of those are wrong. What had God intended to be? This loving oneness. This oneness is complementary of two people made for each other. And whenever we get lopsided on either side, then we're in the wrong. To be honest with you, I read that and I thought, why is that there? Because of the angels. Commentators have had about five different options. Um, is it dealing with good angels or bad angels? Because some of the angels followed Satan and some of them didn't. Is it because of their position? What is it? Well, I think I might have a little bit of a grasp of it, but it's subject to interpretation here, okay? Angels are always a subservient role. They're always under authority. We have a positive example of angels being completely content to be submitted to God, serving us, and they're content with that position. But then also we have a negative example as well. In Jude verse 6, at this time, he's giving them examples of God's judgment. He says, The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, I think what that's referring to is back in Genesis chapter 6, it says the sons of God, which was a common term for angels as well, the sons of God went in to the daughters of men. And so what did they do? They took on the form of a human being, apparently, and married human women. It says they did not stay in their own area of authority, under their own area of authority, but they left that area of authority to take on something that was unnatural for them to do these things. And those demons are held in chains, waiting their final judgment to this day. And so that's what Jude is talking about. Now, when it says here in this passage, well, because of the angels... Well, I think it means when we look at angels, they have a positive role in the world being under the authority that God put them in. And we have a lot of good angels that are content in doing that. And then we have an example of angels that said, you know what, I'm stepping out from under this authority just like Satan did. I'm not content to be an angel. I'm going to be like the Most High. We got a bunch of angels that followed him. And then even after that, some of those angels said, you know what, I'm not content to be an angel. I'm going to take on human form and go into a woman. And they were held in severe judgment. So within angels, we do find in this area of submission to authority, we find positive examples and negative examples. Now, apparently he didn't want to take the time to delve into everything that he meant within angels. So I'm not sure that that's totally where he's going, but it makes a lot of sense. But you know what? When you deal with this, he's, he's dealing with this issue of head coverings. And, and it, it deals with whether or not you cover your head when you pray. He deals with uh, long hair versus short hair. And, I, and he doesn't give a length. Often you have people ask that question, well, how long is long? I don't know. Depends on what culture you're in. If you're in culture and you have hair up to a certain length, then you walk up and ask ten people on the street. If they think you have long hair, then you have long hair. If you have, they think you have short hair, then you have short hair, because that's the culture you live in. That's a culturally kind of flexible thing. You know, people have an argument, well, Jesus had long hair. Actually, no, he probably didn't. Actually, the, the, the styles and stuff back at the time Jesus was on the earth from what we see of cultural things was that men had short hair. The style that you see when you see the pictures of Jesus, which are not pictures of Jesus, but uh, that were drawn later by like Da Vinci and those guys, that was a style of their time, not Jesus' time. You see, the point isn't really whether it's long or short. Here's the point. Do you look like a man or a woman? That's the point. 
Because that's what he's dealing with is the genders and their and how they relate to one another and how God structured them to function. If you're a man and you're trying to look like a woman, you're dead wrong. That is unnatural. You're outside of the sphere of authority that God puts you in. If you're a woman and you're trying to look like a man, that's unnatural. You're wrong in doing that. And what do I base that on? Not anything as flimsy as culture. We base that on the fact that God put in place a divine order and a divine creation. He created them the way that He wanted them to work and to function. And that's what we go by. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5 says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. If in our culture a head covering meant subjection to your husband, then it would be right for women to wear But in the culture that we're in, it doesn't seem to, so I don't know that that's the case. But the underlying principle, the the structure of the genders, is the unchangeable because it's based on the nature of an unchangeable God and His creation. But then also we see the divine balance. The divine balance, verses 11 and 12, and we've hinted to this already, says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. There's not an independence, there's an interdependence. A woman is dependent upon man for her creation because she came from man. But man is dependent on woman because he's born of woman. It should never be like the man is running the show and the woman is just being drug along. We're made to be complementary one to another. Neither is without the other. There's an equality here. Man, because of his headship, is not any more valuable before God than the woman is being under authority. And the other way either. You see, there's a there's a balance. There's a balance. Now you know where that often impacts where that often impacts our marriages and our families is when the man gets so focused on what the woman ought to be and the woman gets so focused on what the man ought to be. You know, often often the fix is just man focus on what you're supposed to be. Are you loving her like you should be? Like it tells us in Ephesians. And to the and to the wife, what are what are you supposed to be? Are you respecting him like you should be? That's where balance comes back into the equation. But then also we see there is a divine nature. Because he calls that in. He says, look, judge for yourself. Is it right for a woman to shave her head? Men and women, we grow hair different. We all go through kind of three stages of hair growth. I'm in three, stage three now, which is it's falling out. Most women never get to that stage. Their hair grows different. That's why it so easily grows longer. It grows faster. It stays longer. And he says, well, you know who got their head, their hair cut short or shaven in those days in that culture? Prostitutes. That's who did it. And women accused of adultery. He's talking about the head covering, pulling something over you. But he says, if we should get rid of that, then maybe we should just have them shave all their hair off. Was that, would that seem natural? No, it's not natural. You know what? God made you a man. God made you a woman. That's what you're supposed to be. That you're going against nature to do otherwise. And then lastly, the divine mandate. Now in the last passage, to be honest, in this version, it actually looks like he's kind of saying, it says, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, contentious means you're willing to fight about it, kind of, right? You're going to argue about it. He says, if anyone inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. The word such there, the New King James interprets it other, and that's probably a more accurate interpretation. We have no other practice. You know, when I read that years ago, I thought, okay, it looks like it spends a lot of time saying women should have long hair and men should have short hair. And in the end it says, but if you're going to fight about it, forget it. That's not what it's saying at all. What it's saying is, this is how it should be. 
This is how God ordered it. This is how God created it. This is how God designed it. And because of that, this is how nature works. And if you want to be contentious about it, which if you look up contentious in the Bible, it's not a good thing to be. He says, if you want to be contentious about it, it doesn't change anything. This is the rule for all the churches. And so the, the very last part of it, he doesn't weaken it. He actually strengthens it because this is what God designed. You know, everybody takes their cues from somewhere. If we don't get our cues from the Word of God and how we see things and how we believe, then we get them from the world, the culture that's around us. You know, I don't think our culture is the best place to take our cues from in these days. When one of your men is the your woman of the year, something has missed the mark. When we're allowing boys to be in girls' sports because they're pretending to be girls, we're missing the mark. I think we need to stick with Scripture. God says this is how I designed it. I designed it this way for, for a purpose, for a reason. And go back to the beginning. That's what we want. The complementing, the, the structured, effective relationship between men and their wives, between man and woman within our society.